0: Thank you. Um, I first of all want to apologize for my sniffling. Um, I was actually thinking of the drive over here, I kind of felt like Donald Trump, but I don't really feel like Donald Trump, just if you guys are watching the debates, as you should have, because it's important as Christians to be involved, he's been sniffling his way through all the debates. He's had a drip, a nasal drip, and I might say, well, I don't, I'm not going to sound like Donald Trump tonight, but it just reminded me of that, and I also want to encourage you guys to politically be involved. Yeah. Important. Um, <laughs> come on, you guys. Um, so, Anka, where did Anka go? Oh, all the way back there. Um, I loved your testimony, and I loved it because it reminds me of how you really... N- I don't feel uniquely qualified to stand in front of you guys and preach. I really believe that every single one of you here, every single one of us, we all have a sermon inside of us, and we all are walking testimonies, and I really believe that your most powerful testimony is not just how he's redeemed you in the past, though that's important, It's actually what he's currently doing in you presently. There's no way to be a better witness or a more powerful Christian than the way you're living out your testimony in the present. Because people are watching you, whether you know it or not. And I also believe that we each have a sermon that's brewing inside of us. And what that is, is that God, he's always speaking to each and every one of us individually. And he may be speaking to you very quietly. You may feel like you don't even hear his voice, which could be because he's already told you what to do and you're not doing it. And he's just looking at you. Or he's holding you, or he's catching you, or he's speaking to you so loudly and he's showing you so obviously all these signs I talked to this one friend of mine a couple days ago, and he was telling me how for a period of his life, God kept highlighting the country of Fiji to him. And he's like, I could not go anywhere without someone handing handing me a bottle of Fiji water, with walking up to church and overhearing people talk about Fiji. I'd open a book, and it'd be open the page about Fiji. And he's like, God just kept highlighting that to me. And he does that sometimes, and then sometimes he's But the reality is, is that he's always desiring to interact with us in our relationship with him. No matter the lifestyle you're currently living, no matter the choices you're making, you actually can't make that bad of choices that God stops wanting to interact with you. Because why did he create us? He created us to have a relationship with him. It's the whole point. And this point in your relationship with him What he's telling you and showing you right now, he's doing this because he's planting a sermon inside of you that he wants you to share with other people. And that sermon, the way you can share what God is speaking to you right now, is something someone else probably needs to hear. Either convict them, encourage them, teach them, shock them. That happens. It doesn't matter. It's your job to share, and it's the Holy Spirit's job to do the work. So The pressure's off. So tonight, I'm sharing the sermon that God has been putting inside of me. And I found it very ironic that Mr. Eric Waterbury talked about how I'm a truth teller because it got me into some trouble this summer. <laughs> so my sermon tonight, what God is currently teaching and showing me, is about saying sorry and cleaning up my messes. It's about how having a peaceful life, especially a peaceful inner life, free of anxiety, negative stress, and worry, is actually not about avoiding or ignoring conflict. But a peaceful life is a life that faces conflicts that arise and lives from a place of victory. It's developing the spiritual muscles to do the hard things, to do the hard things in life where the reward is freedom and peace, irregardless of your external circumstances. That'd be a good place to live. So, this summer was a harder summer for me. On the surface, on social media, it looked really awesome. (laughs) And I did get to do a lot of really awesome things this summer. Um, We got to travel, I got to learn some new professional skills, we celebrated some milestones. I got to um, interact with my kids and watch them grow and learn. And that was awesome. But when you look past the social media posts, I actually felt very strongly like I had a theme song this summer. Do you guys ever have like seasons in your life where there's a certain song that you're like, this is my song right now. This is me. Like they wrote this for me. I mean, it could be written, I don't know, by Hillsong or Kim Walker or Kennedy Rose or someone. And I had a song that I was like, this is my theme song. And I just wanted to play a little snippet of it for you guys. Just so you get kind of an intro to what my summer was like. You might not have heard this song, but I just want to play a little snippet.
1: Of my honesty, you know, I try, but I don't do too well with apologies. I hope I don't run out of time because someone called a referee. Because I just need one more shot, have forgiveness. I know you know that I made those mistakes maybe once or twice, but once or twice, I mean, maybe a couple of hundred times. So let me, oh, let me redeem or oh, redeem myself tonight. Cause I just need I yeah.
0: is it too late now to say sorry? I hope you guys weren't continuing that song that was not the point. <laughs> so that's my theme song this summer. So this summer, I had multiple incidences where I had to apologize and ask for forgiveness. More times than was pleasant or comfortable, and honestly, more times than in the past few years combined. And there are a few reasons for this. And one reason is not that I've become a more sinful person. I just want to point that out. So there are a few reasons. One is I am, I do happen to be a pretty vocal, opinionated person, and I'm still learning to keep my mouth shut when it matters. Two, life is inherently messy, and the more actively you participate in life, the more often you're going to be involved in messy situations. The messes may be unavoidable. How many of you plan on never sitting again for the rest of your life? How many of you plan on never being around other people that sin? The only way to not have messy situations in your life is to withdraw from it. And that's not very Christian-like. And three, I have matured and I've learned the profound importance in the act of cleaning up the messes I make. In my immaturity and following the childhood pattern that I learned, messes were meant to be swept under the rug and either ignored or blamed on someone else. And I have mostly matured past that point. Well, we're growing till heaven. We're growing till heaven. So I'm sure you all wanna know what happened this summer. So I've decided to label all my incidences. So let's get what happened into the summer. So I'll start with the first mess. I have titled it, Sorry Incident Exhibit A. In this incident, I ended up apologizing and asking for forgiveness for something, if you want to know the truth, that I didn't even really feel like I did wrong. Have you ever been there? I was having a conversation with a friend of mine, and I stated a very strong opinion. And I will say the strong opinion involved her personal life. But I still feel like my opinion was right. <laughs> and I genuinely said it. I knew that I said it without meaning any harm or offense. I really didn't. But it became quickly apparent that my relationship had changed with this person. You know what that's like. A coldness, the lack of warmth, the distancing. They're not really responding to your text messages. We all know these signs of being offended because even if some of you are numb enough to not recognize them in other people, you have acted them yourself. <laughs> because we all know how to play the part of being offended. It's universal. So I knew, it was very obvious, I had done something to cause offense. So I immediately went to this friend, and I ate humble pie, and I retracted my words, and I said I was sorry. I didn't do that. I actually stewed about it, I ignored the relationship. I complained about it to my wonderful husband. I thought this person just needs to get over it. Like, why are they so sensitive? I'm like, I just told them the truth. Like, what did I do wrong? And I was so reluctant to like humble myself and ask for forgiveness. But this is where I needed a shift in my perspective that's where the enemy loves to play in. And I just stopped listening to his lies. Because cleaning up this mess, in whatever way was necessary, taking responsibility for the hurt that I had caused, had nothing to do with me being right or wrong. It actually had nothing to do with me proving that I was right. This was actually about my relationship between me and God and about the freedom in my inner life, my thought life, my mental health, my spiritual health. Every mess I deliberately leave all over the ground becomes a shackle that I carry with me. A peacekeeper avoids a conflict, but a peacemaker lives from a place of victory. So because I stalled and fought about cleaning up this mess, I lived several days without any peace. Have you ever been there? Where you're stewing over something, it's disrupting your inner life, you're not sleeping well, it's distracting you. And I'll admit now that it took a conversation with Eric Knopf, who's a pretty good guy, to prompt me to go clean up my mess and clear the offense, which is another reason why you need to make sure you surround yourself with people that are truth-tellers because they're going to help you. And he reminded me, it was very, and I will say, Eric Knopf, he never tells me what to do. Never. But he does have a very loving way of suggesting things. But he, he, does, he does not tell me what to do. He knows better than that.
1: <laughs>
0: so Eric Knopf, he reminded me of the truth that it was very likely that if I didn't clean up this mess, my relationship with this person would be forever changed. And the consequences to not doing my part to clean this up likely included not only the permanent damage to this relationship, but the resentment that I felt inside. That was actually already building up inside of me. So I did it, I did it, because I know the truth. I want to clean up the messes I make, whether they're intentional or inadvertently, I want to keep short accounts. I want to keep my life as clean as possible. I want to take responsibility where I can because I want to sleep at night unbound, unbound. And you know the truth, the truth is simple and it can feel very simple on the surface, but it can feel complicated to enact in real life, right? Because it's humbling to ask for forgiveness and the conversation can actually go really poorly as it did in this particular instance. So, sorry instant of the summer, exhibit A, when I made the wonderful decision to clean up my mess, I kind of played, I psyched myself up, this is my part of my personality, about how the conversation was gonna go. I'm gonna go, I'm gonna own it, own everything I did, apologize for the offense, and she was gonna just then admit everything she did wrong, and we're gonna like move forward hand in hand because that's how it works, right? I was being the bigger person. So this is what I anticipated. The reality was, I approached her. I owned it. I said, it's obviously, you know, I've offended you, and I just want to take responsibility for that. And, oh, man, the reality was she took that as an opportunity to just dish it to me. And she gave me a litany of ways that so I defended her. I became the receptacle of her frustration and offense, and I was served a huge portion of, frankly, false accusation. And I was so, I was surprised, because it didn't go the way I pictured it in my head, and I was stung, and I really struggled with not erecting my defenses and lashing back. I felt the situation was so unfair. Heck, I was apologizing for something I didn't even do wrong. (laughs) Who did this person think they were? And I had all these sharp retorts on the tip of my tongue, but you know what? I didn't release them, partly because my tongue got me in trouble in the first place.
1: <laughs>
0: but secondly, because the whole point of this conversation was to maintain my life of freedom and it was about keeping clear my relationship with my creator. And it was about taking responsibility for my actions and asking for forgiveness for any offense, to clarify where possible, but to do nothing to increase the size of the wall between us. I wanted to take responsibility for every brick that I had placed. So I did. And it was the opposite of fun. But you know what? Afterwards, I felt I felt really tired because it's like, it's hard to get kind of dished a bunch of stuff, but I felt very light. And I felt weary, but I felt very peaceful because the gunk had been cleared from the wound, and now I could just allow the Lord to heal it. I felt his face shine on me. I knew that my reputation was in his hands. I had done the part I was called to do. And my desire is to live a whole life, a clean life, not leaving destruction in my wake. Romans 12, 18. If it's possible, as much as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. As much as it's up to you. You can't control the other person. And I have news for you. A life of peace is not a quiet life. A peaceful life doesn't come from avoiding conflict and never having conflict in your life. It's remembering that cleaning up your messes is about your relationship with your creator more than the other person. And it's about rising above your feelings, not giving your feelings control over your life, but living intentionally and freely. That's what it's about. So let's walk step-by-step step through what it takes to clean up messes. So I went through, okay, what would be a good analogy? And those of you who might not know me that well might be surprised by this because I know I look like a very suburban housewife right now, but I, the first analogy that came to my mind was about blood and gore. And it's not because Halloween is coming up and I have to like watch my children scream as we drive down our neighborhood because it's like corpses every lawn. But, um, because I'm actually a veterinarian by profession. And I literally, I mean, I get paid to neuter animals. Like, I'm a professional. I get paid to clean up bloody messes. And, oh, the neutering animals seems also, if you don't know us that well, running joke as to why Eric is such a good husband. <laughs> it's all the same anatomy, folks. Mammals are mammals. So... He has lots of stories for you guys. Um, Bless him. Um, So as a veterinarian, I have received years of training in the art of wound healing. And I know the ins and outs of the ways our bodies participate in wound healing and the way that we as doctors can actually speed the rate of healing and actually help the body to heal more quickly and more cleanly. And one of the most important processes a doctor can do to significantly improve wound healing is called debridement. And debridement, very simply, is the procedure of physically removing all the all the debris that's in a contaminated wound. So all the dead tissue, the dying tissue, um, there is literal debris in it as there is with obviously with animals quite a bit. Um, Surgically correcting the wound edges. Um, and cleaning up the wound using tools like chemicals and uh, plastic brushes and surgical blades. And debridement, it's so important, but it's actually very unpleasant for the patient. It can be very painful, it always results in bleeding, and it can be a very long, tedious process. And a lot of times, debriding a wound can actually hurt more than the original insult. And it can look worse in appearance. But the beauty in debridement is that when it's properly done, the wound heals quickly, smoothly, and with the most minimum of scarring. Without debridement and a wound that needs it, you can pile on the ointments, the creams, the bandages, the medicine, and it really does very little good because it cannot penetrate the unhealthy tissue that's still there. So when debridement is not performed, wounds can go unhealed, they become infected. Um, it can lead to bigger scarring and a much longer healing process. And it's dawned on me that the wounds of our heart require the exact same thing. I had a heart wound, and so did my friend. And it was filled excuse me, with the debris of misunderstanding, offense, pride, hurtful action. And I was so tempted and so easily could have never addressed these issues with her. She already wasn't talking to me. I also knew that leaving the debris in our heart wounds would ultimately result in a scarred friendship with scars that could no longer be fully repaired. And the beauty of the awkward conversation that we had was that I had taken responsibility for everything I had done as much as it was up to me, and so I had the opportunity to be a clean wound that could heal. Asking for forgiveness definitely doesn't guarantee a repaired relationship, but it does give it an opportunity, an opportunity that would not have been there otherwise. So one more medical analogy, you can hang in with me. So likewise, when you have an injury or you're gonna have an operation or a medical uh, procedure done, a doctor should give you a list of symptoms to expect. Okay, this is what you're gonna expect in the healing process. Um, For example, from abdominal surgery, surgery through your abdomen, which I've had two so far in my life. I'm grateful to have been born in this century. Um, It's considered normal to have searing pain in your abdominals after the surgery. It's considered normal to have a lack of appetite and uh, to have some swelling. And the doctor kind of forewarns you, like, this is what you're going to expect. But this would be very alarming if you weren't prepped ahead of time that it's a normal part of the healing process. But once your mind knows that these symptoms are transient, that they're impermanent, and that they're part of the body's healing process, the pain actually seems lessened because you're eliminating the mental aspect of the pain. You're not believing the lies. You tell yourself the truth. You haven't lost use of your abdominals forever. The searing pain doesn't indicate a worsening condition. You will get better you will accept the temporary pain with the knowledge that you will be a healthier person on the other side. And heart wounds can be treated the same way. Because when you have the truth in your mind, when it's there, at the forefront of your mind, before they even occur, so it's like you've been given the list before you have the operation, of the stages of the healing process, the likely pain that will occur in the healing process, even when you're doing it right, will lessen your suffering and keep you from stagnating and staying stuck in pain. So when this process of cleaning up your messes can be hard, it obviously was for me in sorry incident exhibit A, let's keep track in our minds, you should rejoice because that means you're developing spiritual muscles. I don't really care about being physically buff, but I actually really care about being spiritually buff. Because what happens when you are physically buff, when you have physical muscles? Physical acts phase you minimally. Well, spiritual muscles allow you to do hard things with less effort because you know where you stand. You've done it before. It's not as hard as the time before. I, I work out a couple times a week. I actually do. And just Google uh, middle-aged mother gym classes, and those are the ones I'm at. I'll never be physically buffed from them. And every class, the instructor always tells us that they I want to see your muscles shaking. I want to see your muscles shaking. And she's always telling us that when our muscles are shaking, it means our muscles are changing and we're getting stronger. And you know what? I am in the plank or whatever they're having us do, and my muscles are shaking, and I don't feel strong. I actually feel really weak because my muscles are shaking. They're actually failing on me. (laughs) And I have this trainer saying, I want them to shake. You're getting stronger. But you know what? The trainer knows more than I do. The trainer is wiser than I am in this area. And so I'm going to listen to the trainer. I feel really weak, but I tell myself I'm getting stronger because I am, and that's the truth. It's the same thing when we're cleaning up our messes. We may shake. It may be unpleasant or uncomfortable. You can feel weak. It's always tempting to avoid it. But I promise you, the more you do it, the more you are developing spiritual muscles where it becomes faster, easier, smoother to return to living cleanly and freely. It's amazing when our spiritual muscles develop because we will find ourselves in this sweet place, in this wonderful place where, when confronted with situations that would have normally emotionally vexed us, stressed us out, given us angst, they no longer trouble us. We know how to handle them. And we have the muscles to make it possible. We all know people like that. You know spiritually, you're like, this person doesn't get wigged out by anything. It's because they have spiritual muscles. And I will tell you, I can testify, it's a really good feeling when you're developed. Sometimes you don't see those muscles developing. It's a really sweet feeling when you get to a point in your life and you encounter a situation that you know in the past would have wigged you out. And it doesn't faze you anymore. And it's because you have the spiritual muscles. You know how to handle it. That's a really good feeling. And then you look at other people wigging out of that situation, and you're like, okay, we need to get to class. It's <laughs> not a good way to live. And this comes from graduating ourselves from spiritual milk to spiritual meat. From doing the hard work of the hard things. Christ didn't get, promise us an easy life. And that's not even in my notes, but he didn't. So let me give you another example of a mess. I had to, just in case any of you thought maybe I'm perfect now. I had to clean up later this summer. This one is, labeled Sorry, is it labeled Sorry Incident Exhibit E. So I'm sparing you B through D. <laughs> you can ask Eric about those. Exhibit E. So fast for the end of the summer. So in Exhibit E, and at this social gathering, And I joined in a conversation at this social gathering. Oh, about a social gathering that was going to be happening the following week. So we're basically all gossiping. But we're talking about the social gathering that's happening the following week. And I loudly voiced some strong opinions about some of the negative circumstances surrounding this social gathering to the very sympathetic people around me. It felt really good. Later this afternoon, later that afternoon... I learned that the person hosting the future event was sitting at the table behind me (laughs) and likely overheard all my criticisms. I was just, oh gosh, I know you guys have never done that. And I was just flooded with remorse and guilt. Not shame, but guilt. And you know what I did? I immediately went to that person I admitted everything I said. I don't even know if she'd heard it all. I said it all. I admitted everything I said. This is what I said. And I apologized. And you know what? I didn't overthink it. I didn't wallow in it. I didn't talk about others with it. It didn't cost me sleep that night. It didn't cost me anxiety the next day. Because I did it. I did my part. I immediately went to pick up the pieces and clean that up. I'm like, I don't want this hanging over my life. The rest was up to God. And I want to make a note about the mistakes I'm telling you about I'm making. First of all, living a free life doesn't mean we will never make mistakes. We maintain our freedom by cleaning up our mistakes, doing the part we can, and leaving the rest to God. Secondly, the commonality in these two incidences I shared with you is that I obviously should have better controlled my tongue. And you know what? You can just do the most minimal research into the living word, and you will find more verses than you've ever wanted to read. Talking about the damage our words can do. Let me share, I know none of you have this problem. I just want to share a few of them just for myself. Proverbs twelve eighteen: there is one whose rash words are like sword thrusts, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Proverbs fifteen four: a gentle tongue is a tree of life but perverseness in it breaks the spirit. Proverbs ten nineteen, when words are many, transgression is not lacking, but whoever restrains his lips is prudent. You know, for years, I would kind of excuse my big mouth as part of my personality, oh, I can't help it, runs in my family, look at them. we all have loose lips, just a loud person. But you know what? That was before I started taking personal responsibility for my life. Because... Oh, buckle up. (laughs) Buckle up. I've got more. Because here's the difference between your personality and your character. We're all born with a personality. You are. It's genetic. It's part of your DNA. It can't be considered good or bad. Your personality can't be. It can't be considered good or bad. It's just like you're born with a certain height or a certain eye color. It's what you're born with, it's in your DNA. But your character, on the other hand, is an expression of your personality. And your character is your responsibility. Irregardless of your circumstances, the way you are treated by others, the hardships you face, the victories you face, your character. The expression of your personality is up to you. So let me throw another verse to you. Proverbs 4, 25 through 27. Let your eyes look directly forward and your gaze be straight before you. Ponder the path of your feet, then all your ways will be sure. Do not swerve to the right or to the left. Turn your foot away from evil. Psalm 25:11 May integrity and uprightness preserve me for I wait for you. Taking responsibility for my actions, whether I felt like I was right or wrong, but being sensitive to my relationships around me and my relationship with our creator is a reflection of my character and my growth. Cuz we're all growing, we should be till the day we die. And as we develop spiritual muscles, cleaning up our messes becomes easier without the accompanying negative feelings. I firmly believe that as we strengthen the muscles of our inner lives and we continue to walk and maintain the freedom that God gives us, not only will we have peace in our inner selves, but we will also bring heaven into the situations around us. Because when you are truly free... Unbound by the circumstances around you, just like how when you make a mess, you know how it can affect those around you, our freedom can also spill out into the people around us. The friend in the Exhibit A apology, the very awkward conversation, later told me that she had never had someone own their words and apologize to her face before. And it kind of rattled her. And I've personally seen it in my own life with the way family and friends that have known the old Camille, have known the old me for decades, as time goes on, and I consistently start operating my relationships with an integrity that has nothing to do with their behavior, but everything to do with my relationship with God. When their responses, positive or negative, don't matter because I am standing solidly on my identity as a daughter in Christ. It actually can't help but transform my relationships with the people around me. It can, really, it can take a lot of time because we love to put people in boxes. And I think with family, I personally think it takes the longest, years, because typically who we are labeled as, as children by our family, Those are the hardest boxes to free yourself from. But the good news is our job is not to convince anyone that we are different. Our job is to maintain our free relationship with Christ and the rest will overflow. It will. And it may take a long time, but it will. And you have to hold on to that. So, enough about me. What do you do when you are the recipient of someone's mess, when you are the offended party. Because here's the deal about offense. It's a very natural feeling and it also feels kind of good because it makes us feel, when you're offended, it makes you feel like you're on the side of being right. It gives you a sense of power, right? This person, this person's mistake, their mess makes them vulnerable to my sense of justice and wrongdoing. Right? And that's the lie and the allure of being offended. Because what offense does is it justifies turning off our love towards another person. Because we believe the lie that people who fail are unworthy of love and they deserve to be punished. And when I withhold love, Anxiety fills that void, and the spirit of fear starts directing my behavior. And this is where the enemy loves to come in. Because when we approach a problem partnering with the spirit of fear, we feel this pseudo-power. We feel like we can punish and withhold love however we deem just, and we are above this person in their problem. And this is where the enemy loves to play on these feelings. Because when you feel the spirit of fear, it's not God. We project that God is also afraid of this person's problem, but God is love. And what does the word say about God being love? And what does perfect love do? Perfect love casts out fear. First John four eighteen. there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear because fear involves punishment. And the one who fears is not perfected in love. We need to take a step back from our myopic lives and realize that there are two kingdoms at play here. One kingdom that is ruled by fear, control, and darkness. The other kingdom, God's kingdom, is ruled by love, freedom, and light. So what does God call us? Let's look at what he says in the Bible. 1 Thessalonians 5.5 You are all children of the light and children of the day. We do not belong to the night or to the darkness. So when we, as children of light, discover darkness inside ourselves or inside another person, the questions then begged, what are we going to do? Because the child, the person, you or me, is not darkness itself. It says that in the Word a really good analogy is as if you're walking on some wood planks. I feel like I grew up going to like the beaches of Northern California, and you know there's all those like old wooden boardwalks? And then i would walk on barefoot as a kid, and then you inevitably get splinters in your feet. And it's as if you're walking on a wood plank and a sliver slides into your foot. You're not the sliver. The sliver's not you, but it is inside of you. It's painful, it's uncomfortable, And the longer it's there, the more trouble it's going to cause. But you're not the sliver. And it's the same idea with any mess that confronts us. Whether we are the cause or not, whether we are the offender or the offended, we have to remember who the darkness belongs to. If the sliver is in our foot, we're responsible for removing it. But it doesn't change who we ultimately are. The enemy wants us to focus on the sliver. He wants us to think that the sliver is now a permanent part of who we are. But we have to acknowledge and recognize the bigger picture here. We have to step outside of being small-minded, we have to step outside of seeing ourselves as victims of situations, or looking at individual situations so myopically, we have to step back and look at the supernatural forces that are at play here. We need to choose to operate in our identity as children of Christ. Cleaning up our messes, allowing others to clean up theirs, and then moving on as free people. Here's the deal with about free people. Free people can handle sin. Free people are not afraid of sin. When we create a culture around us that is afraid of sin, We are giving people the message that you have to hide your sin inside of you because we can't handle it. Look in the Bible at the Pharisees and at Jesus. Pharisees, terrified of sin. Sin was remedied by punishment, and they walk around being scared of being punished. How about Jesus? He surrounded himself with the worst of the worst. The sinners of the sinners. He wasn't afraid of messes. Are people sinning? Are people sinning around him? He was immersed in messy life because your sins are not who you are. Jesus removes those sins from us permanently, and we need to remove them from each other. In the face of messes, our peace and our power come from our ability to control ourselves, not to control anyone else. Controlling ourselves equals self control. Self control is a fruit of the Holy Spirit. So the final encouraging verse for you guys tonight. First John two one says, My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. What does advocate mean? What's an advocate in modern-day English? An advocate in modern-day English is actually a lawyer. It's an attorney who's on your side. So It says in the Bible, this awesome news, that we have an advocate. We have a lawyer, the perfect lawyer that is on our side. He's on your side. He's on my side for all of eternity, rooting for us, loving us, contending for us. And that is Jesus Christ. He wants to enforce the victory we have over sin. And he never leaves us. He never leaves us alone. We are given everything we need to live lives of freedom and peace. And that's it.
1: (laughs) Bam. I was listening to Camille and I was thinking, and if the worship band wants to come up, Bettina, if you could just play. Um, because I was thinking a lot of times we go up for, to get ministry, for prayer, when if we would make some powerful decisions within ourselves, a bunch of our issues would go away. So I want everybody to take out your phone Almost all of you have a phone that you can write in. Because the ministry tonight is going to be a little bit different. Because if you want to actually walk, it's very simple to walk in that level of freedom. It's just humbling. And it's extremely hard work. It's always interesting to me how the Lord will reveal things to me, and I've actually been kind of on a little journey myself of just cleaning dust out bit by bit. I was in a closet today, and I saw some old uh, photographs, not bad ones, just ones I don't need anymore. And before I knew it, I was throwing a bunch of stuff in the middle of the floor, and then I just carried it all out to the trash, and I thought, I'm cleaning up my life. One little mess at a time. And I'm doing the same thing in relationships. So I want to ask you tonight first, ask Holy Spirit, who do I need to go clean up a mess with? Is there anybody in your life that you know inside yourself? I actually should say, I'm sorry. Write those names down. I actually think Christians practice this so little, this might take you a hot minute. I feel like tonight is such a powerful night for us as a ministry because it's so easy not to have unity. Have all this little mess everywhere and the Holy Spirit's never going to come down. I feel like we're going to see some amazing things happen. But it's only going to be if we practice what Camille preached. So Holy Spirit, we just ask you, tell us, is there any mess that we've created that we need to be man or woman enough To go clean up as your grown, mature sons and daughters. the second question because I guarantee you if you'll do these two things you'll see oppression leave your life when you allow messes to be a lifestyle for you and many of us do you guys because we never learned it's just like Camille said we never learned how to do this some of us had houses that we had no power to speak up in and so we had no voice so every time something gets awkward we just run and just put on a happy face talk about something stupid and shallow that doesn't matter so the question second question is who has offended you and you need to go clean up that mess because chances are I literally had someone this week I meet I've met with them for probably for a while a long while and I got an email or a text message that was this long I've been meeting with them they always tell me wow that is so helpful that clarifies everything this is amazing you're the most awesome and on and on and I got a text this long that included the F word among other things telling me all this mess And honestly, I can tell you before God, I had no idea. In fact, I thought I was so special to this person. (laughs) And so I use my sister because she's a truth teller like that. I mean, she's older and worse. So I called her and I read to her all this stuff and uh, when I'm done she goes wow are you okay and I said yeah I actually I think I am I'm okay and I wrote them back a text and I just said I really am so appreciative to know what's been going on Frankly, I'm stunned. This doesn't match anything you've ever told me, but it means a lot to me to know what's really going on. So thanks. So the the second question is, who do you need to go to and invite truth into the relationship? Because if you're lying with your silence or with your nice words, when what's underneath all of that is a mess, we handle our relationships this way. We handle them the same way this way. So if you're not cleaning stuff up with people, chances are you're not cleaning things up with God very well either. And when I guarantee you the enemy loves it, he really doesn't care if we're Christians. Because if we'll live that way, we can't accomplish anything in the kingdom anyway. In fact, we're a great advertisement for him. Because we call ourselves Christians, but we're bitter and angry. And we choose to hang on to hurts we should have let go of a long time ago. So we are weak and powerless. And when he shows up in a situation, we have no authority to speak to anything that's happening. Because in order to have authority, you have to fill yourself with truth and walk in truth with people. So who do you need to go to and tell them, actually, this is how I feel towards you. And write their names down. you to stand and i want to encourage you i actually have told people this one young lady actually left our ministry i made her so mad because she came up week after week after week after week after week after week 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 a long time and she kept asking for me to pray for a situation that she needed to go take care of and finally i told her no i'm not praying for that anymore I'll pray for something else, but don't ask me to pray for something you should have already taken care of. I didn't say it mean, but she was really committed to being in that place, and I respected that commitment. You will never have a breakthrough that you're unwilling to want. So I just want us to worship, and as you worship, take in from Daddy God, open The gates, the walls that we love to keep around our hearts because we think we're protecting them. Open those walls and let Daddy God speak into your heart and give you courage and strength so that this week you can actually have your own prayer ministry. Because when you walk in obedience to Him, there's an anointing that comes on your life that nothing else takes the place of. So let's worship. And I'll come back up after we worship for a little bit and close our service.